Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. This morning, I'm still in crowned with honor. See, like God has had me there and God has been dealing with me uh, on the subject of honor. And uh, we're going to ask you to lift our pastors up in prayer as they are out there and uh, they're taking care of business for the uh, Pentecostal Church of God. And uh, so we pray, praying for their strength and pray that God refreshes them as they come back to us. Amen. 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 Uh, today I want to talk about crowned with honor and God has had me in this message and I know we, we, we talked about crown with honor uh, a few weeks ago and then we had service uh, where we, we had our pastor's appreciation service which was awesome. I tell you, uh, you guys did a wonderful job celebrating our pastors. Uh, I, I had such a good time that I almost did a backflip. <laughs> but I restrained myself. <laughs> and I want to uh, say that Pastor uh, Ethan and Pastor Caitlin, uh, you did a wonderful job putting that together. Amen. Amen. And so... Uh, God has had me in this crowned with honor and actually during the service, this celebration, Pastor Ethan touched on it a little bit when he spoke about uh, the three T's of time and talent and treasure. And uh, God was already speaking a little bit to me about uh, time, talent, and treasure and uh and, and how that has to do with honor. And so we want to go into to the word. Uh, the scripture that we had was Psalms 8, 3, and 5. Psalms 8, 3, and 5. And it says this, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visit him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word, God. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, that your word takes root in our heart, changes us from the inside out, God. Lord, that we will be a representation of your glory. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Last time we spoke about uh, being crowned with honor, we talked a little bit about uh, how that we were made in the image of God and that we were, the Bible says, crowned with glory and with honor and how that honor has to be an equitable appropriation, meaning across the board with everybody. Everybody is to receive honor. Lottie Dottie, everybody. <laughs> You're supposed to honor everyone. Amen. That you can't just honor people that you love and people you respect and people uh, that, that lead you. But you, you have to honor everybody across the board. Uh, we talked about how that honor uh, encourages adjustment. That if you honor someone, uh, you honor a relationship, then you adjust because you're honoring what you have. And that honor gives you access. 
Honor gives you access and into the lives, especially to those in authority. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. So we want to talk about crowned with honor. Part two. <laughs> crowned with honor. Part two. Uh, of all of God's creatures, only man was created in the image of God. We know this because Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there's been a lot of discussion about what God meant when he said, let us make man in our image. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, someone said that of all God's creatures, only human beings who he made in his own image give him problems. All other creatures follow his commands. They do what he wants. But man gives him issues. God made man in his image, gave him dominion over all his creation. And yet man does not seem to uh, appreciate Appreciate the fact that he is created in the image of God. Nor give him the worship that he deserves. Revelation 4 and 11 says this. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Well, how does he get the honor? He gets it through you. Through the beings that he created. There's no higher purpose than to take your time, your treasure, your talents, and your temple and use them for the glory and the honor of God. When you live for the glory of God and for the honor of God, you're doing what you're created to do. And you become what you were created to be. No matter who you are or wherever you come from, your reason for existence on this earth is the same. You've been created for the glory and for the honor of God. To take all that you are and all that you have and use it to magnify his name. Let's talk about those places of honor. The time, talent, your treasure, and if we get to it, your temple. <laughs> I got a lot here, so we may not get to everything. Let's start with time. When it comes to time, God has honored every man and woman with the same amount of time. 24 hours. You have 24 hours. Hebrews 3 and 13 says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What you have is today. The nine to five Monday 
through Friday, 40 hours per week, weekends off, work week seems to be a, a, a thing of the past. Various starts times and shifts throughout the day and night, rotating schedules and on-call demands have redefined the normal work week. And if you combine that and all the extra activities that we avail ourselves to, those things outside of work, outside of school, there's just a whole lot of things working against us to keep people from making time for church. Now, I've heard people say, it's not that I don't want to come to church, it's just that we don't have the time for it. Or at least right now. Time, it, it continues to remain one of those commodities that people have not yet discovered a way of manufacturing more of. And since time can't be manufactured, you have to be careful about what you are spending your time doing. And it's just like a person who has to decide, is it worth spending $500 on a pair of shoes or $50,000 on a pickup truck or $5 on a McDonald's value meal? We're continually deciding what is and what is not worth spending our time on. So what is worth spending your time on? And the, and the question really is, is church really worth your time? And when we talk about spending time at church, it, there's important things that we have to remember. There's a few things that we, we have to know. God does not tell us how long our church services need to be. <laughs> there's no 60 minute rule in the Bible just want you to know that this morning God doesn't tell us how many church services we're to have in a week in a month or in a year and while God does not tell us those things God does tell us how valuable we are to him. And he doesn't just tell us, he shows us. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love that scripture. While I was yet a sinner, he died. But I want to read this in the Message Bible. Romans 5 and 8 in the Message Bible. It says, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Mm. Come on now, that makes you think now. 
So God was willing to spend his own son's life so that we could experience what we could never experience in this life. And this life is filled with a, a, a lot of really good things, you know. We can experience the love of a family. We can experience the satisfaction of a job well done and the joy of friendship. But all those things have been tainted by sin and selfishness. And God wanted you to experience more than what this world has to offer. He wanted you to experience the fullness of his uh, his presence, the fullness of his blessing, a peace and a joy that would never end. And the cost of it is high. It was high. And God thought that you was worth his time. The question is, is he worth yours? Because when you see the eternal benefits, you have to recognize the value of your relationship with Christ. It's no wonder that Moses said this. In Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 12, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 12, he says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house. You shall, when thou walkest by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, thou shalt bind it, bind them for a sign upon your hand, should be frontlets between your eyes, you should write them upon the post of your house and on your gates. It should be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digs which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not when thou shalt have eaten and be full then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage Moses starts saying listen when you get up you should be in the word when you lie down you should be in the word he said well everything you do you should be in the word of God. This is what he was saying. And then he said, impress them upon your children. And I thought about that. When does something leave an impression? I, I thought about how that we have these cast iron chairs on our deck. And they have a, a pattern on them. And if you sit on the chair, even for a few minutes, especially if you have short pants on, it leaves an impression. And so one day we had a family gathering and I'm sitting in one of those chairs and I'm talking to my brother and I sat on that chair for over an hour. Well, when I got up, I had the impression of that chair in my leg. <laughs> if you if you sat on that thing for any more than 60 minutes it it creates like a deep impression on your backside and, and that's what happened to me and I, I thought about that that God wants us to spend time with him in his word in his presence why? So that he can leave a lasting impression on us. And, and the more time we spend with God's word, the greater the impression it leaves on us. What kind of impression? An impression of his love, an impression of his faithfulness, an impression of his goodness, 
an impression of his power, an impression of his promises. Come on, we need an impression of God. An impression that reminds us just how valuable he is. You just got to sit here for a while to get the impression. I sometimes hear people say that they don't go to church because they're spending time with their family. Or that Sunday mornings is the only time that they have to spend together. And, and you know what? We're glad you're spending time with your family because that's important. And, and, and sometimes people just really mean well. Sometimes they do. Because a lot of those people, you know, God has entrusted the care of your family to you. And, and it takes time. And, and, I, I, and I understand, I understand. Some parents come from families where they didn't really gather together. And so when they have an opportunity, they want to gather their families together and spend time with them. And, and, and there are people who, who they just, they, some that didn't receive that and some, you know, they just want to impart something into their family. And, but I've thought about this, that your family cannot replace your time with Christ. Your family should not replace your time with Christ in the house of God. Why? Because your time with your family is temporary. Your time with Christ is eternal. What you do here is eternal. So it's important that you bring your family to the house of God. Church is the place where God regularly and repeatedly comes to us through his word and impresses upon us his relationship with us. And, and when you don't spend time with God, eventually the impression fades. And how quickly it begins to fade once we go out of this place. And we start to face the struggles of life. So what do you do? You sit back down. <laughs> and receive the word of God. So that you can get the impression of God. Upon your life. What better place to spend time with your family. Where God the creator of the family. Can guide us. Show us how to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better friend. And it's time for us to become uh, true in our devotion to God and evaluate the true worth of spending time with God because after all our time is limited that's why our time is valuable your, your time is valuable because it's limited and so we have to look at how important it is to spend time with God and spend time in the house of God and I, the reason why this came upon me and I started thinking about this spending time with God in the house of God is because a lot of people have decided since COVID not to return to the house of God. And they're doing church at home. And, and I do believe God wanted us to return to having church at home. You should have church at home. If if. This is the only place you are having church. You're missing it. 
You are to have church at home. How powerful would it be if everybody here had church at home and then we brought the experience from our church at home into this church house? Yeah. I'm telling you, we will have a move of God. Well, a lot of people have decided that, they, that they're just going to stay home and do church. And, and, and so what has happened is we have a lot of people right now who you have, you're missing God. They're missing God because God never intended for a home church to replace the local church. They're supposed to work together, hand in hand. Time is precious. And fleeting. And every morning, God deposits 24 hours into your time bank. The Bible tells us, redeem the time. For the days are evil. It means to make sacred and wise use of every opportunity. We must invest our time wisely and make the most of the time God has given us. Spend more time with God. Spend time in the house of God. Because when you do that, you are honoring God with your time. What about talent? 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, as every man have received the gift even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This, this text is warning us really not to waste God's gift to us. How do we as believers tend to waste God's gifts? We do it first by failing to unwrap the gift God has given us. Peter says, each and every man has received a gift, a talent from God. So everybody... God has honored with time. He's also honored everyone with talent. Everyone has something. There are no exceptions. If you're breathing, God has given you a gift. Yet the problem is some of you have never unwrapped the gift that God has given you. He's given it to you. You've received it but it's still sitting under the Christmas tree. Shiny, red, green wrapping paper all over it with a big silver bow. And it's still sitting under the tree. It's nicely wrapped. It's impressive looking, but it's never been unwrapped. So it remains unused and is therefore of no value to you or anybody else. The worst of all, because you've never opened the gift, the giver himself remains unappreciated and unthanked. And no wonder how could you praise him? for a gift that the contents of which are still a mystery to you and everybody else. Unwrapping God's gift to you is really the first place to start when it comes to talent. And it's just a start. The next step is actually to use the gift that you've been given. Often is the case that the, the more valuable the gift that you've been given, the more responsible you are not to waste it. 
The more valuable the gift you've been given, the more responsible you are not to do something foolish with it. What you have to learn to do is to steward God's gift and to steward it well. Each one who's received a gift is to use that gift, as the passage says, as good stewards of God's grace. We're to be faithful. We're to be responsible. We're to work hard to take good care of the gift he's given us. We're not to squander or waste the gift. We're seconds really away of squandering what God has given us. We squander it because we don't see it as using it to honor God. We just see it as just a gift. Or even if we, sometimes we don't even see it as a gift. We see it as something we do. I just sing in the choir. No, you, you don't just sing in the choir. You're using your gift to honor God. See, God's trying to change our perspective. We, we got to change how we see things. This gift, we're not supposed to squander it. Really, what, what are you to do with it? You're to fan the flame of it. How do we know this? 2 Timothy 1 and 6 says, Therefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now that verb translated stir up, it means to stir into a living flame. To set ablaze. And, 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 and actually, this is the only place in the New Testament where, where this, this verb is used. It, it means to kindle up, to inflame one's mind, to have strength or zeal. So the Apostle Paul, he's telling Timothy to continue to stir up the gift that he's already using to fan the flame to continue to make use of this. And, and Peter too, what he's saying, he's saying those who have received the gift must be good stewards of God's grace. What he's saying is don't waste it to use it well. But here's the thing about a gift that we have to know. Just because the gift has got your name on it doesn't mean that it belongs to you. <laughs> Come on now. Picture this. How many of you remember when parents used to do this? It's Christmas morning. Your mom and dad hands you a present with your name on it. And you open it and you find inside something that you really wanted. And for this example, I'm going to use something today, in today's time. It's a new iPad. No sooner that you opened it up, you turn it on, you start downloading all your favorite music and applications your things that you want on your iPad, your mom and dad cuts in and tells you that the gift is yours, but you got to share it with your brothers and your sisters. Do you remember parents used to do that? It's got your name on it. You are responsible to take care of it. Make sure it's always charged up. Make sure it doesn't get lost or broken. Has all the right applications on it and everything. But it's not just for you. It's for 
your brothers and your sisters. And you even say, but I thought it was my gift. And they say, it is your gift. It's your gift, but it's not for you. You're to share it with your brothers and your sisters. But it's got my name on it, yeah. It's got your name on it. (laughs) And we gave it to you. But it's not just for you. It's not for you alone. This is how God gives a gift. (laughs) He puts your name on the gift. He gives you the gift. And it's yours. But your gift is not for you. It's for those around you. Come on, look around you. Look around you. Your gift is for those around you. He said, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And I used to get mad at my parents for stuff like that. And now I know that they were just following after God's ways. I'm not going to tell them that, though. (laughs) Because I used to get so upset. But your gift is not for you. It's your gift. But it's not for you. Your gift is not for your own sake. It's for the sake of others. It's not for your sake. It's for the sake of one another. Those within the body of Christ. And God's grace is never self-directed. It's always others directed. And so too, our gifts, our talents are to be used not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. That mean, that's what it means to use our gifts well for the glory of God. It's got your name on it, but don't let that fool you. It's to be used for others. In order to honor God with our talents, we must also serve God, not in our own strength, but with the strength he supplies. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I had to look at that. I said, why did he put that in there? Because reality is that serving others with your gift isn't always easy. In fact, sometimes it's quite hard. It can be tedious and definitely inconvenient. People who uh, have the gift of serving, sometimes you can feel like you're breaking your back to meet the needs of people and meet the needs of others. And, and then there can be very little acknowledgement or praise. It can be a, a time of, of, of frustrating sometimes ministering to people serving people it can let's just be honest that's why see that's why he had to put that in there because we have to do it in his strength see you need God's strength when people aren't appreciating what you do because you can serve people sometime and they sap the joy of serving right up out of you And Peter said that the temptation in that time, the greatest temptation, is to grumble. You show 
hospitality to people or you have the gift of showing hospitality and you don't feel hospitable. <laughs> Somebody said that all. <laughs> you know, you, you start to serve people and sometimes people could just rub you the wrong way. But you've got, sometimes you got, you got to realize many times when you're serving, you got to realize you can't do it in your own strength. I always know that I'm doing it in my own strength when I start to complain. When I start grumbling, I'm doing it in my own strength. And I have to catch myself. You know, you got the gift of teaching, but many times, you know, you walk down there and, and uh, your heart sinks when the Kidsville students rush into the room because you don't have the strength to teach that morning. Come on, can we just be real? This is real church this morning. I didn't come to preach y'all happy this morning. I came to talk to y'all about what God's been talking to me about. Come on. And if I'm getting correction, you're going to get some too. <laughs> Those are the times when you're tempted to do it in your own strength. I'm just going, I'm going to just do it and I'm going to do it in my own strength. And no, you can't do it in your own strength. If you serve, then you have to serve with empty hands. When you serve others, you have to serve with empty hands. That means you come to God and let God know, look, God, I'm empty. And I can't do it within myself. Because if I get out here and do it right now, I'm going to offend somebody. <laughs> you have to come with empty hands so that God can empower you and give you the grace to serve. So that you can serve in the right spirit. So you can serve and don't harm nobody. Come on. And it's in this way that God gets the glory as the giver. Not only of the gift, but of the grace to use it. In order to honor God with your talents, you got to use God's gift to serve God's people with God's strength. And that's just it in a nutshell. You honor God with your time. You honor God with your talent. You honor God with your treasure. Matthew 6, 20, 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I like Mark 12, 41 through 44. It says this, and Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow have cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Giving is an attitude that is really contrary to your flesh. The flesh is a way of thinking that is contrary to the word of God. And it's been said that the last part of our conversion is our pocket. 
we profess our trust in Christ, yet we're not willing to be generous. Although one of the hallmarks of Christianity is generosity. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story about a congregation that had gathered in the old church to raise funds to build a new church. This church had one rich member who had a prominent seat in the front. And during the fundraising program, he got up and made the highest contribution of $100,000. As he sat down, a piece of the ceiling came off and fell on his head. He immediately got up again and made another contribution of $100,000. For a minute, there was a silence in the whole church. Then a whisper was heard from the back. Hit him again, Lord. <laughs> Is an illustration of how we relate to giving when we forget the cross. The cross, the symbol of the generosity of God, it was where God gave man all that he had, his only begotten son. When Christ paid the penalty for sin on our behalf, he restored the glory and the honor, the image of God in us. Our only response to God's generosity is to follow his example by honoring God with our treasure. Giving to God is worship and it honors him. The sincerity of our worship is measured by our giving. That's what the whole offering system was all about. Our worship is not only singing and dancing, but it includes prayer. It includes reading the word of God. It, it includes giving. The evidence of true worship is seen in the generosity of our offering, not in how much you give, but in the heart in which you give it. <laughs> you can't say that you know God and have experienced his generosity and not be generous. Why? Because giving is worship. Generosity reflects the condition of our heart. A heart that is right with God and will have no problems with giving. A heart that is after God. A heart that is in love with God will give. God leads us with a renewed mind when we give. Because giving opens up your heart to God and the kingdom of God. Giving gives you expectation. Giving does something to your heart. That's why it's not about what you give, the amount that you give. It's about your attitude in giving it. The, the flesh will continue to mislead you about giving and lead you to see giving as deprivation and as deficiency. The, heart, the, the flesh will lead you to see giving as lack and as loss rather than blessing. And the flesh tells you to hoard instead of giving. But God is a generous God. 
And when you give generously, God honors that. Because our generosity acknowledges that we have a realization of God's generosity. See, when you're generous, you're just acknowledging that God is generous. See, generous people don't have to, they don't worry about things coming their way. Because they know, they have a realization that God's got me covered. I can give because he gives to me. The story about the widow's might is not only about money, but it's about the condition of the heart. And Jesus, he made a contrast between the people who had a lot of money and trusted in their own resources and a poor widow with very little who put her complete trust and faith in Christ. Jesus was not, was not only concerned about the amount offered, but about the condition of the heart. These religious leaders, they gave what appeared to be large amounts, but compared to what they had and what she gave, it was very little. This is important because God sees in percentages. That's why he don't care how much you give. He wants to know how much you're keeping. <laughs> the religious leaders, they gave less than 1% of what they had, whereas the widow, she gave 100%. Her action clearly showed that she trusted God to take care of her. And God always meets the needs of those that trust in him. Every miracle, large or small, always begins with an act of giving. And we, a lot of times we see the solution, we don't see the solution really uh, uh, until we take that first step of faith. I, and I always go back, when I think of this, I always go back to when, you know, we were living in Ohio and, and I was sitting in, uh, sitting in a church service needing a washer and dryer. And I had, I had a little money on me. I had a check on me, actually, from my job. I don't know why I took that check to church. But I actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> but I actually had the check on me. And we needed a washer and dryer. And we sitting in this church, and they had like 3,000 members. And God said, put that check in the offering and trust me. And I said, God, I trust you, but I don't know about my wife. I said, you're going to have to speak to my wife. <laughs> we need agreement on this, Lord. <laughs> and so the, the, I said, I'm going to do it. And uh, so the, they began some praise and worship. And I lifted my hands and closed my eyes. And I was just worshiping God. And, and I remember I, I looked over and Lisa was crying. And I said, I turned to her and said, honey, what's wrong? She was bawling. And, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, God said, put the money in church. <laughs> Woo, won't he do it? Won't he do it? That's for all the husbands. Look here now. <laughs> and so we're, we're, in the, we're sitting, uh, you know, we're sitting midway in the pews, you know, and, and, and the chairs there and, and in the middle of the church. And the choir was way up there. And, and I remember on our way out, we put that check in, the offering, on the way out, 
this lady stopped us. We actually had got outside the door. This lady, there was, she was still in her choir robe. She ran out the door. She said, hey, I wanted to stop you guys. She said, uh, and we didn't know her. She said, I don't know you. I don't know how long you've been coming here. She said, but while I was up in the choir stand, God told me to give you a washer and a dryer. And I remember, I remember going to the house. I rented a truck, going to get the washer and dryer. I thought to myself, it's all right. I'm about to pick up this used washer and dryer. And hey, hey, God blessed us. We didn't have, we were spending a million dollars at the laundry mat. Hello. And I was just glad to get a washer and dryer. But when we got there, the lady had opened up her garage door and there sat a brand new washer and dryer in the box. I said, my God. <laughs> see, many times you won't see anything. A lot of times we're waiting on God and God's waiting on you to show some faith by taking your treasure. Come on now. And showing him that you trust him. Not that you saying you do. Because the Bible says that faith without works is dead. But when you take that treasure and you say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. God makes a way. Anybody glad about it? Come on. Many of us, we're you know, we're not like the woman with the two mice. We rather, we like the, we're more like the Israelites. <laughs> we're in the wilderness, and instead of being thankful, we're murmuring, we're complaining. You know, we need to look around, really, and, and take inventory, and, and we should stop murmuring and complaining and just be thankful. Be thankful that God has been generous to us. Come on. You woke up this morning, you, God was generous to you. You have air in your lungs, God was generous to you. You didn't wake up in Eskenazi Hospital, God was generous to you. Listen, I don't care if all you got is some beans in your house, God is generous to you because there are some people that don't have anything in their house right now. God is generous to you. And so we need to be, we need to be thankful. Many times we're threatened when we're threatened by the winds and the waves and, and we're threatened by life storms. We let our generosity go out the window. That's when we need to let our generosity be the evidence that we trust God. When life deals us a, a blow and we appear to have hit rock bottom, we need to let our generosity then prove that we trust God. <laughs> when we lose our financial resources that we've been counting on. Let your generosity be the evidence that you trust God. In every situation that we find ourselves, even when we're afraid that we'll never get back up, we have to let our generosity prove that we trust God. We have every reason in the world to be generous and trust Jesus. <laughs> He's blessed us. He's made provision for us to meet all our needs. And we, you know, we can do, we have, can be just like David. David said this. He said, some trust in chariots. Some 
They trust in horses. But he said, I'm determined to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we, we've got to just be determined. We're just going to trust in the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm going to end right here. We're not going to go to talent. You, you can get talent in the next service. <laughs> but I believe in this country, we're coming to a point where people are really just going to have to trust God. You, you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is. Because you've been witnessing to your family and telling them how good God is and how God has made a way for you and how you trust God. Well, guess what? In this uh, time that we're living in, yeah, you're going to have to show that's what you trust in. You, you're going to have to really put your faith in him and, and prove that your faith is not in the government. Your faith is not in politics. Your faith is not in a handout. Come on. Your faith is not in GM. Your faith is not in, come on now, your faith is not in your job. Your faith is not in the almighty dollar which is plummeting. Come on now. We are here, right? This is where we are right now in America. Where you're going to have to trust God. Remember, I remember when they used to say in the old church, Brother Dennis, that God would make a way where there was no way. I, I remember when people said they put, they just put plates out on the table and prayed that God would make a way. And all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door and somebody showed up with some food. Come on. And what has happened is in America, and I've just seen it over and over and over, we've gotten too complacent. I, I, even after COVID, we've gotten just a little bit too comfortable. But God right now is shaking everything that can be shaken. Yeah. <laughs> God's about to shake the almighty dollar until the church realizes that he is their only source and only resource and that he is the God that has the cattle on a thousand hills that he owns everything that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all they that dwell in it I want you to know that all that's going on in the world that the devil is not in control that God is in control that he hasn't gotten off his throne come on now he's never lost a war he's never lost a battle come on now He's just waiting on some people that will honor him with their time, with their talent, with their treasure, so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. I wish somebody would stand up and give God some praise. Come on, praise and worship team. <laughs> I'm ready to see God move. They can put out all the bad reports they want to about the economy. They can do, listen, I'm, we're not in fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. How can I fear that when God said, that he would take care of me he said if I feed the sparrows if I feed the sparrows how much more would I take care of you why do I know he's going to take care of me because I'm created in his image and in his likeness he's not going to deny his own come on now 
I've been crowned with glory and honor. God's going to take care of us. So we don't have to fear. What do we need to do? Honor. Honor. I'm telling you, honor is the answer. The more he keeps me in it, the more I see it. I see the honor and I see the dishonor. And I want to be, I want to be a person of honor. I want to honor God with everything. I want to honor God with all of my being. Because he crowned me with honor. And I'm not going to waste what he crowned me with. Come on, let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and honor him with our praise. Let's take a moment and honor him with our worship. Can we take a moment and just honor God? Not because of what he can do for you. Let's honor him because of who he is. Can we honor him because he's holy? Can we honor him because he's righteous? Can we honor him because there's nobody like him? Can we just honor him because he's the ancient of days? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Can we honor him because he is the king over all kings and he's the Lord over all lords? Can we just honor him because he's all sufficient? Can we honor him because he's sovereign? Because he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, and however he wants to do it. Can we just honor him because he's God? Can we honor him? Hallelujah. Come on and open your mouth and give him some honor. And give him some praise. And give him some worship. Can you honor him with adoration? Can you honor him right now, huh? Can you extol him? Hallelujah. Give him the fruit of your lips. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 